Hi, Chris Felton here. Welcome to my podcast where we hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. Over the next several months, we're going to take a journey through the years of messages that I've spoken in the last decade that are both memorable, monumental, and I think marking to both me and the global family. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. God bless you. Why don't you grab a hand and let's pray for you and me that our relationship would be good from the beginning till when I end. So Holy Spirit, we just pray for a spirit of revelation to be in the room today. You would teach these people that I'm right about these things. And Lord, that you would bless this, uh, this time together. Amen. Um, so, uh, turn to John chapter 8. I want to talk to you today about moving into friendship with God. And how many know that you used to be a sinner? You used to be a sinner. If you, if you, and if you know Jesus now, that when you received Jesus, you became a saint. Or as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that you are a new creation. That word, that word new means prototype. You are a prototype. Never before created. You are a creature that has never graced the planet before. That's why Peter said you are strangers and aliens. <laughs> you are a creature that has never before graced the planet. And Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. In other words, before you deserved it, Jesus died for you. But how many of you understand, once you received Jesus, not only did the power of the cross, not only did it save you, from sin, death, hell, and the grave, but it also transformed you into a new creation. So that no longer are you prone to sin, but now you're prone to righteousness. In fact, the Bible says that you have, Jesus first said, I'm the light of the world, then he turned and said, you're the light of the world. He said, I am, the, I am your righteousness, then he turned and said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's become cellular in you. I was reading this morning in John chapter eight. Why don't you turn there, verse 31. And Jesus said this, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants, we have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them saying, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son, the son does remain forever. If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Have you um, heard people quote the verse, um, God came to destroy the works of the devil? How many know Jesus came to destroy what? The works of the devil. Did you ever realize what the context is? Why don't we turn to 1 John chapter 3. And I just want to show you something for just a moment. John chapter 3, um, let's just jump in. How about verse 4? Everyone who practices uh, sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order that he would take away what? Sins. Are you there, John 5? John, John chapter 3, verse 5? 1 John chapter 3, verse 5? Checking to see how many prophetic people we have in the room. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him 
sins. And no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he should destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not from God. Okay, that's pretty stiff words. But let me, you're like, well, I sinned. I'm not, I'm a child of the devil. No, no, that's not what the point is. The point is, the point is this. Have you ever felt stuck in sin? Anybody? I have. It's not true. If you know Jesus, you can't be stuck in sin. No, no, I am addicted to porn. I'm sorry, you feel addicted to porn, but it's not true. And Jesus said, listen, when you sinned, you became a slave to sin, but when you became a son, you were free from sin. How many of you received Jesus? Okay, you're a son and no longer a slave to sin. And he said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you Free. The word truth there is the word we get our word reality from. You'll know reality, and that will make you free. I feel stuck. I understand. That's a real feeling. We've all had that. We could all raise our hands. But when you realize that that feeling is not reality, that sets you free. Because the truth is, you're no longer a slave to sin. Because your seed, his seed abides in you. His seed, the word is sperma. You were born of God. In other words, you were born in righteousness. You are no longer a sinner. You were a sinner. When you received Jesus Christ, you were born again of the seed of God. His seed rests in righteousness. And therefore, when you, if you practice sin, it's incongruent with your nature because you're better than that. Like That sounds like arrogance. No, it's intelligence. Your DNA is righteous because now you're born of God. You're no longer born of sin. You're not stuck. I feel stuck. Oh, I understand what feeling stuck feels like. Everybody in this room knows what feeling stuck feels like. What sets me free when I realize that feeling stuck isn't actually being stuck because I'll know the truth, which is Jesus set me free, and that will set me free. I'll know reality, and I'll leave a virtual reality. The virtual reality says I'm stuck. Reality says I'm not stuck. I'm born of God. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm prone, I, I, I'm stuck in pornography. I'm sorry, I know you feel like you're stuck in pornography. Are you born again? Yes, then you can't be stuck because your nature is a son. That, that, if you're a son, then sin can't rule you. That's a good word right there. Okay, turn to John chapter 15. So we began as slaves to sin before we knew God. Everybody agree? We were sinners, which means sin over and over again. We were sinners. We were good at it. And then we received Jesus, and we became slaves to righteousness. Right? We were slaves to sin, and now we are slaves to righteousness. Are you with me? But I want to talk to you about the growth process. Turn to, uh, did I say John chapter 15? Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are clean because of the word which I spoke spoken to you. 
Let's stop for a minute. The word clean and the word prune are the same word. Okay, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts it off. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. How many know that one way or another, you're going to get cut? <laughs> this just depends how far back. When I was a young man, my uncle had a vineyard, and I used to work in the vineyard. And actually, I just did what I was told. I actually didn't know a thing about vines. I didn't even care about... You guys know what I'm doing, what I'm saying, right? You're 15. Your uncle says, cut the vines right here. You don't think about it. You just do it. But has anyone seen a vineyard? Have you ever walked in a vineyard before? Like actually walked, like where there's real plants. Not the picture, not, not on Facebook. Well, I, I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't care at the time. But a, a, a grapevine will actually produce branches. So it kind of goes like this. A grapevine produces, obviously, branches. And the branches will have fruit on them. And then it will continue to pr produce, the branch will continue to grow, and it'll have only leaves. And it will continue to grow, and it'll just be a stick. Like with nothing on it. It looks dead, but if you, if you, like, you know, scrape it, it's alive, and it will produce a stick until it actually kills the vine. Like it will produce a stick to the place, it will produce all sticks, and the vine will be alive, and there won't be any fruit on it because it'll waste all of its energy extending itself to a place that can't be fruitful. When it, extends its, when it extends a branch so far that the branch literally kills itself because it extended itself beyond its ability to be fruitful and then beyond its ability to live, then you cut that one off. You cut the other branches back to the place where the fruit stops. Now the, brand, now the vine is going to take its energy and it's going to use its energy to produce fruit instead of produce sticks. Are you with me? When Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches, how many of you have ever got your life so extended that you stopped producing fruit? How many of you have extended yourself so far you, the branch died? <laughs> So Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and he said, listen, you have two choices, you can be pruned off or you can be cut back. And then he said this, you are clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Okay, he said, okay, listen, you guys are going to be pruned or you're going to be cut off. Okay, that doesn't sound fun either way. He said, now you guys that I'm speaking to right here, you already got pruned. Well, when did that happen? Just now. How did that happen? I spoke to you. And when I spoke to you, I pruned you. Okay, do you get the concept? Okay, now let's go on. You're going to see it in the rest of this, of the rest of this chapter. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. How many know apart from Jesus you can do Nothing. And people, how many people have you ever heard quote that? I can't do anything apart from Jesus. All right. Do you know him? Yes. Then you're not apart from him. Because <laughs> he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So why quote the verse if you're a believer? I don't know. I can't do anything without Jesus. Can we stop that? That's stupid. You're not without Jesus. He's always with you. You don't have an excuse to not do well because he's always with you. 
Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and, gather, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my? Words. Come on. If, if you abide in me, and my? Words. words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Oh, baby. I started a book. I've only got a part of the first chapter. It's called Wishful Thinking. It's going to be a big seller. I'm serious, man. This is going to be, maybe it's only going to have one chapter. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask anything you wish and it'll be given to you by my Father who's in heaven. Now that's my kind of relationship. (laughs) I know what my wife would ask for. She got everything she wished and I don't want that many horses. So I'm thankful (laughs) I'm thankful God doesn't answer everyone's prayer all the time. Okay, well, think about this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Well, that's a huge promise. And I think we would all, in some way, we would all love to get whatever you wish from God. What do I have to do to get in this relationship? What do I have to do to get to a place in my relationship with God where literally I get whatever I wish? Well, it begins with abiding in him and his Words abide in me. What words is he talking about, though? What's the context? The context is words that prune me. <laughs> if you abide in me, and the word that I just told you about that pruned you, the kind of words that prune you back to the place of your fruitfulness, if you will abide in me, and abide in my word that prunes you to the place of your fruitfulness, if you let me influence you to the depths of your fruitfulness, I will let you influence me to the depths of our friendship. How many people like to be pruned? (laughs) Not me. Hebrews chapter 12 says that discipline seems to not be fun at first, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I hate being pruned. You go, God, prune me. Lord, just prune me. And he sends you Johnny. Right? And Johnny's got a word of correction for you. He always corrects you with someone who offends you. Like, you don't, you don't really like Johnny in the first place. And the Lord's all, go tell Chris. He's got any issues. I'm like, Lord, send me a messenger. I did. I sent you Johnny. Another messenger. But not my wife. I'm saying, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What I'm getting at is this, is that everybody wants to promise, but nobody wants to be pruned. But what would happen, see, I think part of the reason we don't want to be pruned is because we don't, we're, we don't see, we don't see pruning as the process of promise. See, if I, was, if I knew I was going to get pruned onto a promise, it wouldn't be so painful because the joy set before me endures this pruning. But when I feel like the pruning has no promise, are you with me? It's just like, I don't know what this pain's about. Well, the pain is onto a purpose. If you abide in me and my word, the word that prunes you, if you let me prune you, then you can be trusted with anything you wish. And I'm saying the Lord wants us to move out of slavery. This message is about moving out of slavery. I want to propose to you that being a slave to righteousness is the lowest level of life. Here we go. 
How many know that you need to be led by the Spirit to be a son of God? But I'd like to suggest that being led by the Spirit is not the highest level of life. That it's the beginning of life. In other words, when the Spirit has to tell you everything to do, that that's the beginning of life. But friendship with the Spirit is maturity in life. That we begin as slaves. We all begin as slaves. Oh, let them go on. I'm almost taken away. Okay. Verse, verse 8. My Father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as my Father loved me, I also love you. Abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this. He lays down his life for his friends. Did you notice he lays down his life for his friends? He doesn't lay down his friends for his life. (laughs) Selah. (laughs) Verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves. Let's stop right there. If Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves, it it means at one point he did. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all things I've heard from the Father I make known to you. Okay, how do I know if I'm a slave? I just do what I'm told. No longer do I call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. How many know slaves only know what to do? They don't know why they're doing it. Because the highest level of life as a slave is just to obey. Do what you're told, boy. And we have slave camps that validate, I'm a slave to Jesus. Awesome. And you can stay there forever among the other slave people. Or you can let God prune you. If you keep my commandments, then you're my friend. And if you become a friend of God, then how many know you're over here? He says, no longer do I call you a slave because a slave does not know what his master's doing, but I call you friends. Why do I call you friend? Because all things... I've heard from the Father, I make known to you. I'd like to suggest that Revelation is not the child of laborious effort and searching the Scriptures. I'd like to propose to you that Revelation is the child of friendship. People are like, how does Bill get all that stuff? How many hours a day does he study? I don't know how many hours, listen, study is really good, but... Revelation can't be studied. It can only be revealed. It can't be discovered. It can only be revealed. In other words, as long as you're a slave, God's going to make sure you don't know. Because the lesson of slavery is, can you obey when you don't know why I do what I do? But once I move into friendship, then I know all things. Jesus said, everything the Father taught me, I want to make known to you. And I'd like to propose to you that God wants us to move from slavery in the friendship, but you can't, listen, you can't, go, you can't go from saved to friend. You can only go from saved to slave to friend. I no longer call you a slave. I used to. You were a slave to righteousness. Now you are a friend of God. Why? Because you abided in a word that got to cut you, to prune you, to take off the things that weren't fruitful in your life. And when you did that and you said, oh, this hurts so good, God goes, you know what? I think I'm making a friend. (laughs) 
Turn to Genesis chapter 18. It's the first chapter in the book of, of the Bible. Book in the Bible. Ooh, that's deep. And this is God's interaction with Abraham. And Abraham is called a friend of God. Three people were called friends of God in the Old Testament. It was Abraham, Moses, and David. Very interesting. Listen to this. Then the, and then uh, verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down at Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then verse 21. Uh, they're going away. Then I will go down now. Well, let's go. Verse 20. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous and not spare the place for the sake of fifty who are in it? Far be it from you that you would do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall the judge of all the earth deal, not deal justly? And the Lord said, If there are fifty, if there... If in, in Sodom there are 50 righteous within the city, I will spare the whole place on account of them. And he goes on like a good Jewish businessman, businessman should and negotiates with the Lord. The Lord and Abraham are walking. I love this part. I, I think this is amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I don't think too deep. Because the Lord says to Abraham, I'm going to go down to Sodom right now. You want to walk with me? Let's go down to Sodom to see if what I heard is true. Uh, I thought you knew everything, Lord. Is it possible that the Lord only knows the things he wants to know? That his all-knowingness is his ability, but maybe sometimes he chooses not to know everything? I don't know, it's just a thought. In this case, he said to Abraham, I don't know what's going down in Sodom. I've heard some things. I'm going to go down there. Let's check it out, see if it's true. And as he's going down there, and he says to Abraham, the reason I'm talking to you like this is because I shouldn't withhold things from you because you're a father of many nations, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And therefore, I shouldn't hide from you what I'm about to do. How many know Abraham has moved into friendship and the fruit of friendship is God begins to reveal to him everything he's doing, and he invites Abraham to come in and influence him. How many know friends influence friends? And Abraham begins to negotiate with God and say to God, well, wait a second. And I love this language. Wait a second. You are the God of all the universes. Are you, are you going to destroy the righteous and the wicked? That doesn't seem fair. That don't seem right. Listen, that doesn't seem like somebody I know. And he begins to negotiate God all the way down to 10, as you know the story. Another story, Exodus chapter 32. Would you go there, please? Exodus chapter 32. This is, Ab this is uh, Moses. And the people have just... Moses delayed on the mountain. The people have just built a golden calf, Aaron and his friends. And God sends, says to Moses, oh... You need to go down to the people, your people. These people who you let out of Egypt, you need to go down to your people 
these people who you led out of Egypt. And verse nine, and the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, they are obstinate people. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and I'll destroy them and I'll make a great nation out of you. Then Moses entreated the Lord God and said to him, oh God, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with your great power and your mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, with evil intent you brought them out to kill them on the mountains and destroy them in the face of the, from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself, said, and you said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all the lands which I have spoken I will give your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Have you thought through this? I mean, God says to, Abraham, uh, to Moses, Moses, these people, these people you brought down, you brought out of Egypt, you brought them across the Red Sea. These people, I've seen them, they are stubborn and obstinate, and I'm going to kill them. And Moses goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, back up the train here, buddy. First of all, remember the bush was burning, Not George. Bush. And I I came to the bush, and you said, take off your shoes, it's a holy ground. And you started like, I've heard the cries of my people. And I send you, and I said, hey, I don't want to go. And you said, you're going. Remember that that conversation? I said, I don't speak it too well. And you said, you're going anyway. (laughs) These are your people whom you brought out of Egypt with your strong hand, and by your mighty deeds. And secondly, you made a promise. Do you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will multiply your descendants. They will take over the land. You remember that? God goes, all right, you're right. I changed my mind. (laughs) Have you ever thought about this? I mean, this this is God. You think God's like, oh, I made a mistake. It just doesn't fit. Or do you think God's saying, oh, Moses... Thank you. I'm getting old. You know, I forget things. Thank you for reminding me about the covenant. See, here's what I think. I think that sometimes when God prophesies to us that he's testing our hearts rather than determining our destiny. I think God sometimes, God's like, it's like with Moses. God says, I'm going to destroy all these people. And Moses goes, that's a bad idea. And God goes, I got me a leader. See, if you're a slave, you just do what you're told. You just have a one-way relationship with God. He tells you, I'm going to kill these people. You're like, all right, I'll get back and let you do it. But if you're a friend, now we get to talk about it. Because friends friends influence friends. And now I get to interact with you. And now I realize when God's talking to me as a slave, that he's I can want to say careful, but he knows that when he tells me something, that my only choice is to obey. But guess what God tells friends? He tells friends what he's thinking. And Moses says, that's not a good idea. God goes, you're right. I love this. The next chapter, chapter 33, God comes back and he goes, "Um, I I looked into what I said. You're right. I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I would give them the land of promises. I would take their descendants and I'd put them in the land of promises. But I never said I'd go with them. 
I looked into it. I never said, I'll go, I'll take you. He just said, God said, I just said, I would let you go. So I'm going to send an angel before you and they will lead you into the land of promises. Least I kill the people on the way. And Moses says to God, God, <clears throat> you know what makes us different than all the other people and all the other nations? Your presence. And he said to God, I'd rather be in the wilderness with you than in the promised land with an angel. God goes, okay, I'm going with you. <laughs> you know, I think people that are, that are just slaves, they don't even know they're going with an angel and that God's not there. As long as signs and wonders and miracles are happening, they're like, it's all good. But when you have a friend, then you care more about the presence than you do the promises. And I'd like to suggest that God wants to take us into a relationship with him. Where we move from slavery into friendship. I'd like to suggest to you that there is a, a shift that's happening in the body of Christ. That he's getting us ready for the bridegroom and he doesn't want to marry a slave girl. He wants to marry a Proverbs 31 woman. Somebody that can consider a field and buy it. Some years ago, I was, um, was on a Sunday morning. I was prophesying to a bunch of people. Actually, I preached Sunday night. And at the end of preaching, I, I called out about 10 or 12 people. And it was one of those nights, the preachers will know what I'm talking about. It was like, so good. I was awesome. <laughs> and I usually don't think that about me. But I, like, it was just one of those nights where just the message went well. And I was prophesying over people and people were crying, which is typically good. <laughs> it was just one of those really good nights. And I went home this, this night and... That night, and I was like, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking, oh, God, you are so lucky to have me. Oh, I know why I was born. I must be your favorite. You are so lucky I'm on your side. I didn't say that. You know, I'm being a little funny. And I heard the Lord. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I heard the Lord laughing, and he said to me, that was a great word you gave that lady. That was a great word you gave that lady. I said, did I give the lady a word or did you? He said, no, you did. False prophet. I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I must have got so excited. I just, so sorry, I gave this lady, this lady in the back, the last word I gave this, was this lady way in the back. She was right there. There was no, um, there was no sound booth at the time when, at the early, in the early days. I, I gave this lady a word. I don't remember what it was. It was like something like, you're going to be the queen of the world. It was awesome. <laughs> and the Lord said, that was a great word you gave that lady. I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I, I, am so, I went from like, oh, like a fly when it, you know, <laughs> a bird when it hits the window. 
I'll say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I am so sorry. He said, oh, that's okay. He was laughing at me. He said, I'll take care of it. I thought he was going to kill her. I seriously, I seriously had a panic attack. And I thought, oh my God, he's going to kill her. I gave her a bad word and he's going to kill her. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. He said, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I said, how are you going to take care of it? He said, oh, I'll just make it happen. This is what he said to me. He said, he said, what kind of friend would I be if we only did what I wanted to do? <laughs> I thought, that was a good answer. I didn't tell my wife for 10 years because I thought, I'm going to tell her, she's going to tell Bill, and then I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> and then 10 years later, I found this verse that was lost. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And the Lord was with Samuel... And let none of his words fail. His, little h. And the Lord was with Samuel, and let, let none of Samuel's words fail. You're like, okay, so are you saying we can prophesy anything the Lord just... No, I, I've only done that once. <laughs> I wouldn't want to try it several times. I'm simply saying that the Lord wants us to move into a place where not only... Is he influencing us? But if you ask, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. You can ask whatever you wish and <laughs> we'll listen, but probably not. No, you can ask, you'll ask whatever you wish and it'll be done with, for you by my Father who's in heaven. How would you like to have a relationship with God in which prayer is an interchange with God? And the outcomes are homogenation of your will and his will. You're, wait, wait a second. Doesn't God want my will to be his will? He does, but he wants you to have a will. Okay, here we go. This is the last couple minutes. Jesus said to the Father, Father, I didn't come to do my will, but your will. Remember this? Remember when he's in the garden and he's sweating blood? And he said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. What does that mean? It means that the Father and the Son both had separate wills. Now, how many of you know, having a separate will doesn't mean that you don't line up with his will. It just means that you actually get one. That God actually planted two trees in the garden on purpose. I don't know if you've thought about this, but lots of Christian political people think that the goal of Christianity is to cut down the second tree. You know, God planted a good tree in the garden and a bad tree in the garden. Have I lost you completely? God planted a good tree in the garden and a bad tree. Do you know that God planted the good tree and the bad tree? And God said, eat the good tree, don't eat the bad tree. How many of you understand they were supposed to eat the good tree, which is the tree of life? How many of you know we finally ate the tree of life? And we live forever. How many know the goal was to eat the tree and live forever? The goal wasn't to go to heaven. The goal was to get heaven. Because the goal was to live forever and heaven come down. How many know heaven wasn't created for you to go there? Heaven was created for it to come here. But God put two trees in the garden. Did you see that? I'm still talking about friendship. God put two trees in the garden. Why? From the very beginning, God wanted friends and not slaves. 
How do I know that? Because he gave you a will, but then he gave you a choice. See, it's one thing to have a will. It's another thing to have choices. I mean, I can have a will, but there's no choices, then I can't exercise my choice. I can't exercise my will because there's no choices. And God goes, good tree, bad tree. Why did God put a bad tree in the garden if he didn't want you to eat it? You're like, I don't know. Great question, Chris. Because the only way to get a reward for doing the right thing is to have the opportunity to do the wrong one. Why did God put a devil on the planet when he could have put it on Mars? <laughs> or Pluto or some other place we wouldn't ever get to. I mean, what, there's a lot of planets around, have you noticed? I mean, why not put the devil on a planet that we're not on? I mean, you know, like, is there enough room? I'd like to suggest that the only way, see, God wants you to have a choice to serve him. I choose you, God. Well, of course you choose me. Where's each other choice? So how many know the Lord puts the God of this world on the planet with the God of heaven on the planet? And he says, you can have a choice. Now, let me tell you, this guy leads to death. He's terrible. He's evil. He seems nice, but in the end, it's death. And I, I'm awesome. Why did God give you a choice? Because God wants to have a relationship with people, and having a relationship requires you to have a brain. God loves friendship, and friendship means you have to think. I'd like to suggest that God doesn't just want to do his stuff. He wants to do your stuff when his stuff and your stuff are both coming from the same motive. I think God wants to move us out of slavery. What'd you do today? Holy Spirit told me, um, find a man with a hat. He's got a you know, plaid shirt on. I went out, I found the man with the hat and plaid shirt, and I gave him exactly what Jesus told me to do. How many know that's amazing? What's even more amazing is what you, when you do stuff God didn't tell you to do. You know, when my, son, when my son took out the garbage when I told him to, when he was a teenager, well, first of all, it was a miracle. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. He'd usually get it out, but then the can would be lost for like weeks <laughs> as he chased a butterfly or a deer or whatever. But if I came home and he took the garbage out without me telling him, that, that would be like Lazarus coming out of the grave. I mean, there's something happens when you do what you're not told to do. Do you know, the, I'm almost done. Do you know the tabernacle of Moses was God's idea? Moses went up on the mountain and what did he see? He saw the, he saw the complete blueprint for how the tabernacle should be built, right? Who should build it? What colors it should be? What the furniture should be? How many know? Everything, right? How many know that Moses' tabernacle was happening over on one side of Israel and David sets up a tent? And he puts the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, he takes it out of the tabernacle God designed and put it in the one he designed, which only had one room. The tabernacle Moses had three rooms, right? The outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And only the priests, high priests could go in once a year to the Holy of Holies, right? Whose idea was that? God's. 
David sets up a tent. It only has one room, and he sends all the priests in there to minister before the ark, which was not only a different idea, it was illegal according to the scriptures. You can imagine the, David going, okay, we're going to all go in, and we're going to all sing. You can imagine the first priest like, you, you go first. Because they would tie a rope around the high priest's butt, and they would send him into the Moses' tabernacle, and he had little bells. <laughs> I'm serious. He had bells on, the, on his robe with, with, uh, with uh, fruit in between, pomegranates in between, and if the bells stopped chiming, they knew he got killed, and they'd just pull his butt out of there because they couldn't go in and get him for a year. And David's like, yeah, yeah, I know God said that, but that's not what he wants. And David sets up a tabernacle and puts all the priests in there to minister to God 24 hours a day, not one time a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all around the clock. Now we get to Acts 15. And they're trying to figure out what to do about the Gentiles. And James says, wait a second, I know what we're supposed to do. It's written. It's, it, this is already written. It, in the last days, I'll... On the last days, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. I'll wall up its ruins. I'll raise up its breaches so that all mankind might seek the Lord. How many know the tabernacle of Moses was God's idea? The tabernacle of David was David's idea. God says, I got an idea. Instead of rebuilding the tabernacle of Moses, let's rebuild the tabernacle of David so that everyone could seek the Lord. When, David, when Solomon built the temple, when, Dave, when Solomon's dedicating the temple, David's already dead, dead. Solomon's dedicating the temple, and he says to the people, this temple, God did not ask for a temple. God does not live in a temple made with hands. But it was my father David who wanted to build this temple for God. When Solomon gets done with the dedication in which he gives David credit for having the idea to build a temple, it says, and the God filled the temple and the glory of the Lord was so strong. It came like a cloud and the priests could not minister. Whose idea was the tabernacle? What, whose idea was the temple of Solomon? It wasn't God's idea. It was David's idea. What I'm getting at is this. David didn't break the law. He looked into the future. He saw the heart of God. And he goes, there's coming a time when everyone can serve the Lord. There's coming a time when everyone can come in the presence of God. What happened? He came out of slavery. He came into friendship, and he didn't just know what God was doing. He knew why he was doing it. And he said, it's in the heart of the Father to have everybody serve him. It's in the heart of the Father to have everyone be a priest. And how many know, that's why First Peter picks up, Peter picks up the, the idea. And we are a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for own, God's own possession. Whose idea was that? That was, Peter said that in the New Testament, but David saw it way back here. You know why? Because he became a friend and he saw that all things, he saw things that wouldn't just happen in his generation, he saw things that were yet to come. All things I've heard from the Father, I make known to you. And he did not what was written, but he did what was in the heart of the Father. And the Lord liked it so much, he said, why don't we perpetuate that, your idea, forever? There is another place in God. It isn't just being led by the Spirit. It's becoming friends with the Spirit. Would you stand? Put your hand on your heart.
please. I'm sorry. Don't preach to people. Say, Jesus, I want to be a friend of God. Teach me how to abide in you in a way that you can prune me or cut off things in me that shouldn't be there so that I can abide in you and your word abides in me and I can ask whatever I wish and you'll be glad to do it because I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.